On this episode of Max Talks AI, I'm joined by Paul Hornsey Pennell. And Paul and I actually met uh, about a year ago at an Expert Empires conference in London. And uh, I didn't really know many people there, so I decided to speak to a guy who was actively typing something on his laptop in the foyer of this hotel. And uh, obviously this guy was Paul. I asked him what he was up to and he said that he was writing a book. Turns out this book was Surfing the Techno Tsunami, which we are going to talk about today on this podcast. Uh, Since that conference, Paul and I stayed in touch. And uh, I am honored to say that I consider him one of my mentors and one of my friends. Paul has had quite an outstanding career. He was a performance coach for 25 years and his client portfolio includes English Premier League players, squads and management from football clubs such as Chelsea and Liverpool. He was also involved in coaching multinational and small and medium businesses and led seminars to thousands of individuals starting out in self-employment. Apart from his coaching career, Paul is also a distinguished author of interest to us is the most recent book that he wrote that is called Surf and the Techno Tsunami that is very much about the technology, its impact on the society and how you can ride the wave of technological progress. We ended up having a truly fascinating, at least to me, conversation about beach, life, death, technology and everything in between. Please enjoy. Hello listeners and welcome to Max Talks AI. Today I have a very special guest with me who I have a pleasure of knowing personally, Paul Hornsey Pennell. Welcome Paul. Hey Max, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you feeling? I'm I'm feeling superb as I as I'm talking to you, I am looking out over an increasingly deep blue and wonderfully peaceful Mediterranean and the sun is shining. So yeah, right now all's well in the world. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Do you want to talk about that then? How did you how did you get into that place? Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. No, that's cool. Um, how I got into that place? It's it's actually part of the work that I do. Um, twenty fourteen. I was uh, I had three potentially terminal uh, incidents or illnesses or whatever. This particular one was around August, and uh, I'd had a minor operation on my leg. And I woke up at about two o'clock in the morning and suddenly my left leg from the knee down, it wasn't twice the size of my right one, but it was, you know, it was significantly swollen and angry red and whatever. And I was then taken to hospital. Um, and long story short, I I had septicemia. Um, and I, I didn't kind of know what this was until the doctor said, listen, We've got 24 to 48 hours to decide whether you're going to keep your leg. And that might not be enough. Uh, And, you know, you need to be prepared for the fact that you might not be around within a week. Uh, And my response was genuinely, wow, that is really going to be interesting. Um, And I took out my iPad and was just, you know, flicking through it. Just kind of, I don't know. I don't know why. Processing or something. And I came across this place. So this was back in the UK. Uh, and I came across this picture of this beautiful property, which had a terrace. And the terrace was looking out over the sea. It was probably the ocean. Uh, mm-hmm. And for some reason, I just kind of dropped into that um, image and experienced it like it was real. So I experienced the beautiful sunshine, the light the color of the ocean, the sound of the ocean. I had the heat. I even had a light breeze coming off it. And, and 
I love how the unconscious works. There was also added this scent of uh, orange blossom, which have you ever smelled orange blossom? I think so, yes. For me, it's intoxicating. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, it's, I gulp it down. So I just went, yeah, you know what? I, I have to have that because it just gave me such a sense of inner peace. So I then kind of just checked in with myself and went, okay, so let's play a game because that is very much how I regard life. And went, you know, so 2018, it was like, nah, it's just too far away. I get bored. 2016, it's like, nah, it's too much pressure. 2017, it was like, yeah, by the end of 2017, that feels about right. But let's set it for three years. Um, and yeah, so August 27th, I moved out here. But even how this happened was, was, was fantastic. I was sitting in my garden in the UK. I lived in a beautiful part of the UK called Devon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we'd had four whole days of consecutive sunshine. It rains a lot in Devon. And I was just thinking, wow, you know, sitting out my gla- uh, in my garden with a friend of mine having a glass of wine, again, smelling the honeysuckle. Smells are very important to me. Uh, and I looked at my phone to see what the weather was like, and that was it. It was like for the foreseeable future, it was just rain and cloud. And I went, I've got to go. I've got to go. <laughs> and literally the following day, a friend of mine who he's, he's five minutes, no exaggeration, down the coast, just tagged me in on a post um, on Facebook, and he went, what do you think of this? This was about 11 o'clock Sunday morning. And it was this apartment, and I thought, wow, that looks amazing. So messaged the agent, set up an appointment for Steve to come around, who live-streamed it to me, and I just went, yeah, I'll take it. So I arrived August 27th, and there I was, you know, sort of looking out over the sea as I am right now, feeling the sun and the breeze, and actually there is a breeze today. And there wasn't any orange blossoms so I thought oh well you know not so bad but blow me down because I'd got out earlier than scheduled uh, it was about six weeks later that I was on the terrace and suddenly there was just this you know oh what is oh what a next door has got orange blood it just hadn't come into bloom so um would you oh, believe wow. I, uh, I I I have it all so yeah and it's and it's beautiful and that to me is that's the hub of the coaching work that I've done. It's 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 about people really connecting with, you know, what they what profoundly moves them, what what truly makes life work li- worth living. I do regard it as a game all the time. Um, and this is it's the fifth time this has happened. This isn't like a random coincidence. So yeah, so that's how I got it. Why did you think this is this is where your mind went? Sort of changing location changing the climate that's a good question why why did my mind go there well i mean i i always always feel it's i think there are a number of things one is when you're told that you might have a week to live i know that the instant thing was is that i let go of the past straight away because when you're told that's the case then you know you can either sit there and moan Mm -hmm. about it or 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 do something now i can't take any credit for that this wasn't a conscious thing it was my immediate response because this might sound a bit bizarre, but, you know, for me, life includes, you know, death. And I find the whole thing truly exciting. It's not something that scares me. Um, can, you, it... can you explain to me how to do that? Because I've been always, every time when I was a kid, when someone would ask me what, what my biggest fear was, I would always say death. Right. And, and until now, it's still, I mean, this is my biggest fear and I'm super terrified. So and what's I'm not the sure fear? how to change that. What is the fear? Just the fact that you will be gone and you 
don't know that you're gone, so that for eternity you just don't know anything. Ah, okay. So, 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 but you've attached something to that whereby you've got a, you've got a belief that when you've gone, you don't know that you've gone. I mean, I think so. I used to be an Orthodox Christian, and I still wear a cross. But um, I read uh, some of the Richard Dawkins' work, and he changed my mind. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I so personally, I don't follow any religion. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this yesterday, literally as I was strolling along the beach. I, I was brought up a sort of loose Catholic, but didn't hold anything for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I questioned it at every stage. Uh, in fact, the day I left the church was the day I got confirmed. So, you know, that was interesting <laughs> in itself. Interesting conversation with the bishop that actually made me realize <laughs> it was time to go. Um, <laughs> and, and I just listen, I accept that that. As a human being, we have, we have extraordinary belief systems, but they are all belief systems. So I don't have an answer as to whether there's a God, whether there's life beyond, blah, blah, blah. I don't, you know. I've had quite bizarre experiences that on the face of it, you could say, well, of course there is because, you know, this has been somebody communicating with you and blah, blah. And I mean, really bizarre telling me stuff about somebody that I didn't know, who I was then told to phone up that I did, and then mm-hmm. gave details which only, you know, she could know. So I don't have any rational explanation for that. But I don't get tied up in terms of, you know, what goes on afterwards, because I don't see the point. I just see that, yeah. that the only thing that I can do is to live this life here as fully as I possibly can, uh, and you know, when, when I'm gone, I don't know obviously what is on the other side. And that to me is what makes it exciting. So I don't, I don't have any expectations. Um, I can't see the point, but mm-hmm. it's the excitement of going into another state. Now it may be that it's just like turning off the TV and going, you know, there won't, there won't even be a, uh, that was disappointing. There'll just be a, right. The TV's off in which case, yeah. fine. If I've lived my life fully now, then great. But when, Max, when you put something on there by going, okay, so when I go, then I'm not going to know that I've gone. And then it sounds like you're lost in eternity, which to me would be terrifying. Yeah. So you've attached a belief around that. But the fact of the matter is, is that, is that we don't just know. But I tell you the bizarre thing is, that I, I, I tell you what I don't believe is, is, is that we're then, I actually don't believe your belief. I cannot believe that, we're then going to be left kind of zooming around eternity, not knowing we exist and blah, blah, blah. I kind of have it that, well, either way, we're at peace. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's either the end and that's it permanently. There's no experience of anything. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, you know, we're some kind of energy and, and, um, and that's fine too. Then what about then talking about technology? Because to me, technology can kind of prolong your life in two ways, right? One is prolong the life expectancy, right? With, um, you know, the potentially, uh, you know, AI algorithm or machine, you know, testing yeah. the new drugs, testing the new chemicals and potentially helping with, the, you know, curing some of the diseases that prolong the life expectancy. Yeah. Uh, and then the other side is uh, to import your consciousness into a computer mm. or a code. Yeah. To me who is super scared of death, that seemed like scared of death in a way that I'm scared of not existing anymore and just kind of being left out from the party forever. 
which I think is really unfair. <laughs> That's so cool. Left out from the party. That's great. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's like it's like you just have to leave, and then there is nothing you can do. So to but me, why, but here's the thing: why why are you wasting time being scared about what's going to happen when you go? Because when 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 you're doing that, then that straightway gets in the way of enjoying it while you have it. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I, I constantly catch myself at that, and I'm not like panicking. As in, if I had to unpack what I think about, this probably would be it. So you know, on a dark night when I'm just about to fall asleep, it's not like every yeah, day yeah, I'm yeah. just yeah. super paranoid. But what do you think about the concept of, uh, you know, because even now, when you die, you have gigabytes and gigabytes of data left from what you have kind of amassed during your lifetime. And that's, yes. you know, the films you watched, the books you read, the stuff yes. you bought on Amazon, your internet search history, God forbid, and, and <laughs> stuff like that. So what? So there is some part of you still left, and that's that's only kind of increasing so that the other extreme of that is to actually copy the neural architecture of your brain. Yeah. So that, for example, let's say if I die, then my sister can know if I would have liked the movie that just came out or the book that just came out. Yeah. What, what, what do you think about that? Is, is this kind of um, screwing with the nature a bit and the natural order, the fact that there is something left? Well, there's no doubt that it is because, by definition, you know, we haven't we haven't packaged anything up before. I also think that 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 it's a I mean, it's a phenomenal question because when I look at and when I kind of follow what I'm hearing going on, you know, Elon Musk, for instance, you know, he's he's apparently spent hundreds of millions of dollars on a on a company and he's looking to create something. I can't remember it's called the neural necklace or something like that, but there's the mm -hmm. possibility that you know where smartphones are going to go is that actually you know the first of all rather than having a processing chip you actually have a liquid so the liquid is what does all the computing and the processing and and he's talked about so you know our nervous system has got loads of excess capacity so why not inject it into the nervous system so you're talking about a combination of technology and human you're actually talking about uh, you know, a, a new species, if you will. They're yeah, also tran transhumanism is the movement. Yeah, and they're talking about now the fact that you can store all the information in the planet in DNA. Well, if you can store it in DNA, well, then guess what? You can store that in the body. So I, the way I see it is, is that that is definitely going to happen. That that you're then going to have, as is the case now, you're going to have different groups of people who are going to love it, hate it, and the bulk of people who will blankly accept it because, in my view, the bulk of people don't truly think for themselves. I think that's changing, but, but en masse, you will find that people just go, oh, okay. And, and there will be advantages to it, for sure. I mean, can you imagine not needing to go to school to learn French or whatever? You just kind of, I don't know, twiggle your nose and suddenly you're speaking French fluently. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is going to be extraordinary. And, and to me, this is the huge question, is, is that if you enhance the human ability to um, computate and learn so that it's push-button, uh, and also, you know, if that is, as I'm in no doubt, is going to be happening and is happening in, in, in the work mode, then I'm curious about, well, what does that then enable the 
the human being to do? Because I kind of have this hunch that for those people that are clear and aware that there is an extraordinary opportunity to move away from all the busy, busy work stuff and move into far more being, which might sound like a bit of a crass phrase, but I, I, I think that's where we're moving. Yeah. No, this is this is this is very true. I mean, it's just also I feel that the progress, this is why I asked the question about is this okay? Do we have to check back with the nature and kind of think are we kind of overdoing it a bit? Because if you think about, you know, I heard this uh, from Tim Urban, uh, I think it was an article when he was talking about putting the human history into 600 pages, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. And then he was saying the last two pages are flipping crazy. <laughs> and then the first 598 pages are super boring. Yeah. So that to me, I find it, how, how come does evolution, has evolution speeded up so much that, you know, Every year we have breakthroughs that we used to, you know, we used to take, well, you know, because, centuries to achieve. But, the, but that, 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 has been, that has been the whole purpose behind technology. If you look at it in terms of, I mean, a simple one to, to, to give. I mean, you know, when you had the Bronze Age, the Iron Age, and all these were technological advances. So you ended up having, creating tools that enabled you to do more and faster. Um, you know, then when certain things like, you know, electricity was not discovered, but when it was harnessed, you know, that was a whole other unleashing. And it's just been incrementally. I mean, if you take agriculture, I mean, there would be 12 people out in a field with size cutting corn. Now you've got one tractor in a, in a field which is the size of, you know, a small county uh, that, is, that doesn't have anybody in it, that is completely mm -hmm. linked to satellites that will you know, seed the land in accordance to gradients and all this kind of stuff and, and collecting the most phenomenal size harvest without anybody being there. So technology is all about that. And the, the difference, one of the differences is, is that, yeah, the time difference between something being created and then happening is reducing and reducing and reducing. And I think this is one of the biggest challenges is that it's not so much the technology, it's, it's our ability to be with it. Because mm -hmm. if you've got something, it's like right now. I mean, I, I couldn't even begin to imagine what is being worked on right now, uh, which might not have been, you know, even in people's thinking. And again, that's the key six months ago to nine months ago. But the stuff which, you know, our consciousness and the possibilities are expanding and expanding and expanding. And it's that time frame which is collapsing. And that's the challenge because the future is is encroaching in the present ever 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 more quickly and so therefore our ability to adapt i mean you know so i'm 56 and mm -hmm. you know i still get frustrated with my iphone and you know i think i've got the latest this that and the other and it turns out it's four years old and <laughs> don't be silly dad you know we've moved on um so there is also that the 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 danger of alienation now that is one of the things that is interesting when you th start thinking about okay technology being implanted in a in a human being this is that if that then keeps you a pace with it how's that going to be you know this isn't this isn't just in terms of improvement of life but also you know if if change happens too fast you've got a real risk of people being unsettled uh uncentered imbalanced um mm -hmm. we've already got increases in you know mental 
disorders and mental illness going on, and, and I'm sure that's a part of it, as well as I'm sure that the fact that, you know, we live increasingly staring at a screen. I mean, people's often their virtual reality is what they regard as being the reality. This is also brings in a whole other conversation about, you know, is, is Facebook a good thing or actually is it a, is it something that has a negative impact on, on our own sense of self-worth, self-esteem, yada, 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 all that kind of stuff. So it's a what, huge do you, what, what do you think about that then? That I think it's, I think it's both. I think it's both. Um, uh, you know, I, 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 I am in no doubt that Facebook, as an example, is addictive. I mean, no doubt about that at all. For yeah, people, no, I mean, sorry, definitely, yes, yes. I was just, I was just going to say that, you know, I know personally, and um, I know of one of the smartest people I know is actually working at Google, and his task is to basically analyze the cognitive behavior of people and to make them click on stuff. Yeah. That's just, this is it. And then yeah. Amazon, there is similar. There is uh, some amazing scientists that, you know, could be arguably could be contributing to something bigger. Yeah. Uh, they are working at those, you know, big, um, big tech companies. Yeah. And their job is to make this stuff addictive. So that, yeah. uh, I totally agree. No question. Yeah. And I've felt it myself, you know, and, 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 I, I would be amazed. You're on, you're on Facebook quite a lot, actually. Yeah, no, I am oh. on Facebook a uh -huh. lot, and the, and and the, you know there are times when I go, oh, you know what, I got I got to step back, um, because again, if you think about it, every single time that you go on, you're suddenly stepping into a whole host of different realities, different conversations, different cultures from all around the world. You know, whereas in the not so distant past, it would take a while for you know, this kind of news to, to reach you. So suddenly you're just getting impacted by different realities. And, and there are times when it's just like, wow, you know, the, the, the thing to do is to just unplug, you know, recenter, reground, and connect yourself with, you know, who you are and your own values and whatever. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, I, I agree with you totally. And, and again, very recently, I've, I've made the conscious decision that my activity on Facebook uh, is going to be far, far more reduced than it has been in the past. Mm -hmm. Do you think then, you know, talking about the body, physiologically speaking, mm. do you think the, because, you know, thinking about evolution, we're still craving sugar, like, like we did 2000 years ago, you know, when we were just strolling around, and then we, f we find a, you know, beehive, we get the honey, and then we don't get any sugar for the other three weeks. Yeah, you know, and now sugar is readily available, and we still crave it. Hence, you know, potentially the obesity and things of that nature. Yeah, how is the in terms of evolutionary process? And you know, obviously, it's it's a complex subject. But then, you know, going with your intuition here, in terms of the evolutionary process, is the brain ready for this pace? Because it seems like it's such an archaic um, part of our body that is developing really slowly if you think about many different factors so how comes is it ready to absorb you know the amount of information and the amount of social interaction that was previously limited to you know 70 to 100 people um yeah good question uh, my response is more that i don't know that it's so much about it being ready as mm -hmm. the fact that um you know it's it's about how is it going to adapt or how is it adapting um, I mean, there are, there are some areas which are really of concern to me, which is, I mean, again, going back to Facebook, if you look at, you know, 
people's um, first habit for a lot of the time now. There's a new habit that is being created, hmm. which is that rather engaging with something, you film it. So mm. there, are, there are three different examples that I can give you. One was a guy, I think it was in India, who fell into a tiger's pit in a zoo. And uh, people got their cameras out whilst they watched this tiger go and, you know, in effect, drag this guy off and kill him. Um, mm -hmm. Now, I don't know what I would do. Um, I, I don't know what I would do. Another situation was in the States where there was this uh, woman who was filming. There was, a, there was a block of apartments on the opposite side that were near completion, but they were on fire, like big time. And um, you could see the flames roaring behind, and there was, a, there was a builder who was on one of the balconies, and she was filming this going, OMG, OMG, do you think the fire guys know that he's there? You know, filming it rather than mm -hmm. either screaming at the fire engine, getting on the phone or getting out there, running along and saying, hey, guys, what about this? So, you know, there is this need within human beings to kind of be significant. And I think that that need to be significant and another need, which is to connect with people is is superficial in the virtual world by definition. But I think that is overriding the need for you know, human interaction and compassion. And, and that's worrying. A different example was one that I saw the other day where, you know, there was this boy who was, I don't know, six years old, real sweet little guy, you know, whose mum was filming him. And it was his birthday. And his dad was away on, you know, in service. He was in the forces. And, you know, this boy read out this note. So I'm packing this parcel. And it was like, you know, what's the note? Oh, well, you know, daddy's saying, listen, son, I'm sorry, I can't be with you today. And and this kid was in tears, you know, clearly he missed his father. But this whole thing was a clever little ruse to kind of go, but I got a surprise for you and blah, blah, blah. And guess what? The surprise was dad was, you know, round the corner. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you know, so then you've got people that are creating these, I think, frankly, pathetic scenarios, manipulating their children mm -hmm. to burst into tears to create this great scenario because in their minds is, you know, in the back of their minds, I've got no doubt about this, is that this is going to be a social media hit. But it's at the cost mm. of the well-being of their child. But then so, isn't, don't they say that to make someone happy, you have to make them really unhappy first? No. And then they're going to be much happier, no. you know, when the positive event comes in. <laughs> this is trauma. I mean, there's a difference between trauma and, you know, listen, the kid was already missing his father. Yeah, no, definitely. But thinking about but that, that but, though... But, sorry, but what I mean mm -hmm. about that is that that is social manipulation in order to achieve an outcome which has got nothing to do with the well-being of that child. It's got everything to do with, let's create this scenario and post it on Facebook. That's what I mean, where people's virtual world becomes more important than the human beings that are in it. Why, why do you think then, is this... Because I'm, I'm trying to unpack this. Is this you know facebook and social media did they make us like that that we want that gratification of likes and no, followers and no no that's a human need it's a human it just need. amplified it yeah correct and mm. and and it's a very easy way to to begin to think that you have created your 15 minutes of fame you know 
uh, it's a very, very easy way. Because it's kind of like being on TV. Um, so you've got that as, a, as, a, as an access point to it. And it's easy. So, you know, that's that. But it, it's, no, it's, it's just, you could call it exploiting or it's just revealing far more. You know, listen, we all want to be significant at certain mm -hmm. times in our life. And, and for some people, that's that. We also want to connect. So some people go, wow, I'll do something that's really loving and yada, 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 and all this kind of stuff. So there are all sorts of different reasons to it. But, but, but it always comes back to, well, is this in the best interest of the individual or is this because you want to get some likes? Yeah, no, definitely. Then thinking about that, in terms of the you know the technology the social media and the need to share stuff do you yeah. think that because you know for myself for example i it is stunning to me that how many people are now considered techie because when i was growing up and i'm, I'm sure for you it wasn't that long ago but for me it was a long time ago but when i was growing up there was a split between people who liked technology and then people who didn't like technology there were techie people and then there were kind of old schools yeah. i feel like I feel like now, especially in my age group, you know, which is 20-somethings, there isn't that split anymore. Everyone is... There is a huge split in terms of privacy and how much you put out. Yeah. But everyone seems to be techie now. Yeah, but I also think the distinction between techie and non-techie has also kind of um, maybe lessened a bit. I mean, for me, you mm. know, techie people used to be people that would make stuff, they would create stuff, you know, that was a whole uh, technological yeah. I leap. I don't quite mean in that sense. I mean just in sense of using technology. So what I'm trying to get Correct. at is is maybe you just miss out on quite basic interactions and quite quite a basic need for a place in the society if you're not online in this way, if you're not sharing, if you go to a concert and you didn't put anything anything out. Is but the society see, that, that's uh, such? That's, sorry, can I get that? Is such a great example, Max. It's like if you go to a concert and you get your phone out and you start filming it, then by definition you are not present to what's going on because you're observing the situation through the lens of a camera. On the other hand, though, how amazing is it that we can actually check back in thirty years? And, you know, try to be in that moment again. What is, yeah, the, but, but what is my, the balance here? Well, my question to you is, what would be more amazing? Having the fully immersed experience that you yourself, you know, can relocate. I mean, you think of any incredible experiences that you've had in your life. I doubt that they've been with you holding a camera. The really mm. incredible experiences that you have are deeply personal. You are fully engaged. And therefore, those are the kind of things... Those are the treasured moments. So yeah. that's what I mean. It's like, it's like whether this becomes a profoundly personal experience and your life is made up of profoundly personal experiences or whether you go, well, actually, do you know what? You know, I'm, I've, I've, I've filmed all this stuff so I can go back and see it. But by definition, like I said, if you're filming something, you are not as fully engaged in that experience as if you're not. Yeah. You cannot be. It's impossible. I mean, um, yeah, I, I totally agree with you, but I struggle to, to me, the world is not going back, right? This is the way it's headed. I'm convinced that there is going to be, you know, lenses that record everything we see if sure. there is no, you know, a paradigm changing event coming in between, sure. you know, in, in the coming years. So how does one, because, you know, to me, 
I'm I'm very much with you on that. And even though I'm intrigued by what technology can do, and I love photography, but I don't take a bunch yeah. of pictures with my smartphone. I don't record a bunch of things with my smartphone. I don't, you know, I keep the personal things to myself, and I don't understand why you would want to kind of put them out. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, but I, I struggle to understand what will I do in the future because this is really what people expect and this is where the attention is you know even with this podcast and like you've got to promote it and then you know for people to hear and you've got to put yourself out and you know people asking what you're up to so that maybe you have to post some stuff and it's super unnatural to me but I feel like I'm still doing it because you know I want to provide provide value like that but then on the other side I'm thinking is this actually value is this contributing to you know, the short attention spams and the, the yeah, depression yeah, yeah. that no, comes out of Really, really great questions. And again, you know, you say, well, you have to promote this, you have to this, you have to that. I don't know. Do you? I mean, you know, like I said, I, 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 I trained as a classical musician. I, there is hmm. one piece that I recorded, which for me, just for me, I think is stunning. In fact, you know, when I go, if I ever have, if I elect to have any kind of service after I've gone, I would love that to be played because that is uniquely me. But I don't need to put it out there. You know, hmm. it's, and it's, a, it's, a, it's, it is, it's a great paradox that you're talking about because the, the, the thing that comes to my mind all the time is this whole thing about, look, if if where your focus is is in terms of out there, it's like I've got to put stuff out there. Mm-hmm. I I challenge that as as a prerequisite to what you've got to do. To me, the most important thing is first of all know thyself. It's like know what matters to you, mm-hmm. know who you are, know what you stand for in the world. Everything else comes second to that. And and I think this is part of the problem is is that is that often you have people that go oh, I've got to get a presence out there I've got to be known I've got to be known I've got to be it's 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 another aspect of this pseudo celebrity culture where I think there's a general dumbing down in some areas I think there's a I think there's a great aspect of it in others which is is that social stigma or whatever you know it's just completely blown that out of the water you don't need to be a certain kind of education or whatever to to be able to to create a presence but the presence for me has to come after you know who you are and mm-hmm. and that is also part of the journey i mean like you said i mean i've put a lot out on facebook and some of the time it's just been because i've kind of had this feeling about what i want to do i've had this feeling that i want to just try something and see how that responds and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff but right now it's the, the the biggest feeling I've got is predominantly for people to start unplugged and then to plug in when they are clear about what and why they're doing it. Because mm-hmm. otherwise there's a real danger that you're going to get lost in the vast unending world of social media, virtual reality and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But then to me, I'm trying to really document the journey of you know, self-awareness of understanding yourself. So this is kind of, instead of that, kind of what I'm trying to do right now is to show that, because it seems to me that, you know, anywhere you go, you see like, and products, right? Mm -hmm. On on TV, online, you just see, you know, people who've made it in a way, in whatever, you know, whatever that is for each person. 
what I'm trying to show is that, you know, with uh, helping in terms of uh, studying at a university, in terms of understanding some of the complex issues around artificial intelligence, you know, getting to hear, you know, people like you talk, for example. Yeah. I want I want people to hear that. Right. Why? Right. And then also I, I am why? clear about... Uh, I'm not 100% sure. Do, yeah. do you have to know why? You don't have to do anything. I, it, but it's curious because because the 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 reason why I ask is because if you don't know why, then sure it could be could be exploratory and it could take you to a place, but also mm. it could leave you in. Here's the irony: it could leave you in the same kind of purgatory that you were talking about with regards to death. In terms of you going, well, I, I I've got to do this, but I don't know why, which then becomes a bit aimless. If, if there's no purpose behind it, then does it add to the overall sense of, gosh, there's just more stuff out there? And what does it do for you? You know, you'll know because if it's if you've got a purpose behind it that matters to you, then, you know, it, it, it will work its way out. That's for sure. But if it's if it's somebody else adding more, I mean, this is and this is very much my viewpoint. Right. Um it's like if it's if it's just a kind of aimless thing, then then I then I would. I mean, but I'm finding this a fascinating conversation. So to me, I hope this is this would connect with some people. Mm. But what why I would like that to connect with some people is because I'd like people once again to get clear about wow, okay, I'm in control here. I make choices in my life. My life is my journey. My journey is the adventure. You know, it's the only way that. I can pay true homage and respect to this extraordinary experience that we've been given. That's why I want to do this. I want people to actually leave a, lead a life and leave a life that has real meaning to them, whatever that meaning might be. I'm not judging it, um, mm-hmm. but but that that to me is that to me is behind you know why I do what I do is because otherwise. So if you go through this life and you're unconscious and you're asking, well, yeah, you know, you're kind of putting up with it because that's just how life is. It's like, whoa, what a waste. Yeah, I mean, this this is also kind of what I mean. It makes I'm very um, human oriented. Hence, you know, I was saying that technology, the social media stuff even doesn't come supernaturally to me because I like the human interaction. And I think it also comes... Uh, you know, from my upbringing and my childhood, you know, yeah. I was raised in southern Ukraine by the sea very much, always in nature, always interacting with the kids. And I was known as, you know, I always wanted people around. Right. And then now it just, I came to the UK and I found that people in the West are actually quite, I don't want to say depressed to just throw out that, that term, but I want to say um, also not lost because that, that kind of feels a bit disconnected to say that someone's lost go ahead disconnected kind of yes and just not they just kind of flow and they're really unhappy i feel but they don't want to show that in a way so it's yeah you know if you think about life you can do anything you want and in the developed world you can do anything you want times 10 you know, yeah. compared to what you what you can do in developing and undeveloped countries. Yeah. So that I was like, I'm gonna come to to the UK, and then people are gonna be thrilled every day, <laughs> and I come and they're not, and I'm like, what the hell? So to yeah. me, I was thinking like, sorry you about know, that. This, this, <laughs> that's right. 
<laughs> no, no, it's it's not just UK, by the way. It's the US. Just just in the West. This is not how I pictured, uh, you know, sort of Western developed world. Yeah. In terms of, you know, obviously the infrastructure and like the roads and all that stuff is amazing. Yeah. But uh, just in terms of the way people feel. Yeah. Well, I feel I, like technology is yeah. only gonna make it worse, and I see it already making it worse because people are just drifting by. Yeah. Yeah, no, I listen, I I uh, I applaud you know everything that you've just said. I mean, with regret. Um but it's like look, here's the thing. You and I met at some event, right? Yes. And what did we do? We sat down and we started talking and we got straight away into interesting conversation because that's what matters to you and myself. You know, it's very clear to me that you are a extremely sharp, extremely intelligent young man, and you're searching for answers. That's how you come across to me. And it's very clear that certain things matter to you. You know, in particular, you mentioned your sister, and it's like, wow, it's, it's just fantastic. So why am I in Spain? I'm in Spain because the culture here is different. The culture here, it seems to me, is less inclined towards technology. I'm not saying people don't have smartphones or whatever. Of course they do. But mm -hmm. some of the distinctions for me, for instance, is, is that when I walk around a supermarket in Spain, it's very quiet. It's very calm. You, you see children who are engaged with their parents. And, you know, for the most part, I, I don't think I've ever heard any whining child in Spain. I think there's a difference in terms of when you have sunshine, when you know the outdoors, when you know that that is guaranteed for six, seven months of the year, people can express themselves in a different way. I think with all the sunshine, they have more dopamine and serotonin. I think they're more relaxed mm. within themselves. But family is what is at the core. Now, you look at the UK and you look at the USA, but also you look at the educational models and you look at the economic model. Mm -hmm. I've talked about this for years, is that, is that one, of the, one of the things that I find an absolute tragedy so you look at the UK, we've got thousands of years of divide and, call, uh, and rule. We've got thousands of years of having a system whereby you have somebody at the top, then you have the people that are underneath them, you know, whether that was the king and then the, the barons and the lords or whatever way it went. But everybody got what they got because they could, you know, fight and kill more people than anybody else. And, mm -hmm. and then the person, the person at the bottom got their little strip of land and was told to be Grateful for that. Oh, and by the way, with the pittance that you got on Sunday, go and give 20% to the church. So it's like, and, and in the UK, the culture has very much been, who do you think you are? We've got a class system, which uh, it works in the way that it does, but it's also hugely restrictive. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and so you've then got an economic model, which is based on an employee mentality. And this to me, this is what I wrote about in the book as well. <laughs> is that for 300 years, you know, when cottage industries stopped and people started to create factories, then people got into the whole monotony. And the deal was, okay, I'll work for you and you will give me the security of a, of a pay packet. Mm -hmm. And you'll do the selling or you'll do the marketing or whatever, but I'll make this cloth and you'll buy it off me, guaranteed. So that was the deal. And when you've then got an education system which is geared towards creating good employees. And yes, I'm massively generalizing, but what you want from a good employee is somebody who, to a degree, will agree to hand over 
the bulk of their life in return for what I regard to be pretty much a pittance. So mm-hmm. you're then absolutely bought into this whole thing of Monday to Friday for the bulk of people. You know exactly what's going to happen. You're going to do your job. It would be lovely to think that people enjoy their, enjoy their work. But here's the other shocking thing about it. And this absolutely plugs into what you're talking about. And that is that, so for a start, if you imagine from, from, from childhood, from about the age of 11, the way I see it is, is, is that one of the things which is absolutely knocked out of people is imagination and dreaming. Mm-hmm. So, you know, by the time a child becomes a, you know, a, 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 a kind of young boy or girl, 10 or 11 years old, we've been told something like 120,000 times positive conversations or positive comments. And we've had about 11, 1,100,000 negative comments, right? Mm-hmm. Now that mm-hmm. has an impact. You're then also told to stop dreaming, you know, because you've got to grow up. Now dreaming is the absolute access point of creativity, wonderment, potential, and all this kind of stuff. This isn't me saying this, this is Albert Einstein. And what we tend to do is that we go, no, you've got to do math, you've got to do this, you've got to learn this structure in this period of time, and you've got to spew it out in an exam or whatever. It's got nothing to do with intelligence at all. Mm-hmm. You know, our own abilities are breathtaking, but the education system knocks it out of us. And this isn't a conspiracy thing. It's worked. But it knocks it out of us in order that we can become subjective employees. You know, our parents would have earned a certain income stream. So would their, their parents. There'd be an assumption that we would too. You know, if you're set to earn £30,000 a year, you're not going to dream. You're not going to dream about having extraordinary experiences or blah, 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 blah. You're going to be thinking constantly, how can I eke out my existence on 30,000 a year or 25,000? I think 26,000 is still the national average in the UK, which mm-hmm. is crazy. So you have to depress your imagination in order to exist in that. And so people go, well, that's just how life is because that's what they have been taught. Yeah. What's exciting about this upcoming, I think it's evolution and revolution, is that more and more people are going, well, A, this sucks because it's going to get worse. We'll come on to that maybe later. But in terms of the job losses which have been anticipated and predicted by the mm-hmm. likes of President Barack Obama, as was, and also Mark Carney, the governor of the Bank of England, but also mm-hmm. the OECD, and certain individuals, um, what's it say, Jack Ma, the owner of Alibaba. Mm-hmm. You know, they're talking about, I mean, you know, up to a billion jobs going. And they're talking about that within 12 years. Yeah. Now, that's why I wrote the book, because it's like, guys, you know, even if you slash that by 50 percent, that is major. That is major. But more importantly, it heralds the arrival of a new way of having to be. Society, if this is true, is going to have to change and adapt and it's going to have to do it fast. But mm-hmm. coming back to the current employee um, situation, I read um, a few items in a book that was all about depression. This guy was talking about how come if you give somebody citalopram or whatever, you know, which should create more serotonin in the brain, then people go back to being depressed. And he mm-hmm. talked about purpose. And he talked about the fact that in the UK, one of the biggest surveys that was ever done in 2011, 2012 by Mori was on people who go to work. And I can't remember the stats exactly, but it was something like 
17% of people positively enjoy going to work. It's something that they are fulfilled by. It's something that they love contributing towards. It's meaningful to them. Something like 65% of people just get through the day. It's mm-hmm. a filler. It's a means to an end. Do you but, think, just, just to pick but, up on that, with those, with those 17%, yeah. is that true? Because to me, you know, when you ask a person, do you love your job? When that person says yes, I think in terms of the social circle, they're considered as someone who's winning even more. Because like, oh, you have a good job and you love it. So that I think to me, even in those 17%, I'm not sure if everyone was being truthful with themselves. What do you maybe, think? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I mean, 17%. I, yeah, I, I can go with 17%. To be honest, I could go with 20%. But the, but the, but the shock, this comes back mm-hmm. to what you were talking about in terms of people being depressed, uh, my words, is that 20, something like 25 or 26% of people actively hate their job. Now, if you're spending the bulk of your life right, doing so something... Se- uh-huh, so 17 love it, 65 kind of get on with it, and then... For 65%, it's like a filler. It's, it's uh-huh. a means to an end. Uh-huh. But, you know, they're not engaged with it. But about, around 25% actively hate it. Wow. So the whole conversation around this, this was what this guy was talking about in terms of depression. He said, you know, the fact is is you can give people as much citalopram as you like, but if at the end of the day there is no purpose, there's no sense of meaning behind what you do, then at best you're going to be ambivalent, but at worst you're going to be, you know, seriously, seriously, seriously unhappy and unwell, uh, you know, from a mental perspective. And Mm -hmm. that, I think, comes in with what you're talking about because the whole Western model of so-called success is one which goes, well, if you do this and this and this and this and this and you have this and you get more of this and blah, 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 blah. It's like, you know, that's the definition of success. And it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's, that is an addiction kind of scenario that you're creating, which is why people will always go and get the latest iPhone or the latest TV or the latest this or the latest that or the latest the other. Because they've attached it to an external set of um, circumstances, i.e. society that says you have X, Y, and Z and you are a success. But most people in that sense are utterly miserable because it doesn't mean anything to them. Uh, and from a heartfelt perspective, it's empty. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I think it's, well, not directly connected to, but I think that part of the reason why, for example, talking about technological progress, right? Yeah you see all kinds of breakthroughs, all kinds of amazing devices. Unfortunately, you don't really understand how they work. And then to me, we are increasing the size and the number of the black boxes that we have in in this world surrounding us. And we interact with them on a daily basis for hours and hours and hours. And we don't actually understand what's happening. Correct. Do you think that's... Because, I mean, to me, that's terrifying and kind of shameful. I read an article where... You know, there was uh, this technology writer talking about black boxes. And then he said, you know, if we, we think we're so smart now and we think we're so way past the, you know, let's say Roman Empire and stuff like that. Yeah. Or, you know, you know, even medieval times and stuff. But let's say if you are teleported back, what can you teach those people? Yes, like, and I was thinking about point. myself. 
okay, if I go back in time, I'm supposed to be a prophet and like messiah of progress, right? Because I mean, I've seen it all, but I can't really teach them anything. No. I don't know how anything works. Yeah. yeah. Do you think it's okay that we don't? Um, there's a real danger there. I mean, I, I, I sent all my children to a Steiner school. Um, and one of the key reasons for that, which is a totally different kind of educational approach, but one of the key reasons for that is because they recognize that the more of a gap there is between the individual and the technology they're using, the more disconnected they are and the more dependent they then become upon that technology. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and this would include even something as basic as riding a bike. So what they taught the students is, is that, okay, so because if you take a bike out for a ride and you're four miles out and suddenly you've got a puncture, you've got a bigger problem than if you went for a walk four miles away because all you'd have to do is walk back. So mm-hmm. what they teach is how you can then repair the bike. Now, that's a very, very simple example. They're also very cautious around the use of computers because exactly of that gap that you're talking about. Um, I think you. I think that is such a great point that you that you mentioned. I mean, you know, my father worked in the city of London. I went to his office one time when I was about six years old, um, but I couldn't tell you what he did. You know, so there's a whole other missing on that mm-hmm. front. It's like, well, what do your parents do? Well, they do something in some place, and I'm not quite sure. But this is this is one of the exciting things for me. Just kind of turning this around is because. I am in absolutely no doubt that one of, not just one of the boom areas, but I think one of the most significantly important areas socially that is, that is going to explode is working from home. Because suddenly you're actually bringing, bringing yourself into the family. Uh, suddenly you're actually involved in something which um, you know, is a benefit to the family. Your children can say, I mean, I've always... I've always worked, I mean, when I say work from home, I mean, when I was coaching the Premier League, obviously I was going out to teams and all this kind of stuff. But my office was always based at home. I never had a separate office away. Um, and it was very much included and incorporated in, in, in my family life. And mm-hmm. I like that because, because, you know, my children would occasionally ask me, what are you doing? Most of the time they were far more fascinating what they were doing, quite rightly. <laughs> but but the connection with them was was constant and it was real. So you know that was wonderful. I was thinking about um, you know what you were saying about the hours and about working at home. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about the idea of universal basic income? And what do you think about, for example, let's say, because to me, like this technological progress, it's super fast, and with you know potentially artificial intelligence coming into play. You know, it can play out really well, I think, or it can play out really badly. Yeah. Without sort of fear mongering of, you know, machines killing us and stuff like that. <laughs> but just thinking just in terms of jobs, um, identity, you know, people's happiness, their place right. in a society, it can clear things up for us and it can free up the time or it can just make it even more complex, even more unequal and even 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 sadder. Well, I think I think again, you you need to look at the the the, the culture of the country. I mean, I I lived in uh, Sweden for a, for a while, and mm-hmm. it was very very clear that the culture of the com- the country is very much about looking after the people. Genuinely, um, again, it was you know I just had my little perspective on it, but 
you know, people who were in so-called ordinary jobs. What I saw was that the standard of their homes was, I don't know whether they owned them or rented them or whatever, but it was excellent. It wasn't, it wasn't good. It was excellent. Um, mm -hmm. so there's a, there's a, there's a, it's like, what is the commitment? I mean, my, if you then look at the UK, my impression of the UK is, is that actually, I don't get that politicians care. The interesting yeah. thing with Corbyn at the moment is that he might be somebody who actually cares, but by and large, there is a tough stance, uh, which comes out of our culture. Uh, and I, for one, I don't like it. It's not something that I warm to. And I also think that, as I said earlier on, that has a negative impact on the family because you end up, you know, it's like, well, I've got to be number one. You've got to compete with everybody else and yada, yada, yada. Uh, and the problem with that is that when you're in a culture whereby, well, you've got to be a winner, is, is that by definition, if you're not a winner, then you're a loser. And mm -hmm. so there's a huge amount of um, castigation with regards to people who are either struggling or whatever and assumptions and blah, blah, blah. Now, some of it is true. But part of the problem with that is that when you're then in a culture that doesn't value its citizens, then people are going to go, well, why the hell should I contribute? Um, one of the things, again, that I find interesting here in Spain is, is that, I mean, I know their economy is, you know, it's, it ain't great. Uh, you know, they had to have a handout of goodness knows how many hundreds of billions from the EU. But one of the things that they do here is that if you're, and I understand this, I don't know this for true, but... I think if you're unemployed for six months, then you actually pick up a broom and you start, you know, looking after your local place. You put on some reflective gear and you become that. Now, to me, when you go into a little village like the one next to where I am, it's beautiful. You know, it's well looked after. They take pride in it. I mean, obviously, their major industry is tourism as well. So you have to add that into the equation. Mm -hmm. But I also see the interesting thing is, is that the people that are going out and planting the plants and sweeping the streets and doing what they need to do. There's no kind of resentfulness there. It's very much part of their social background. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you've got that as a background culture, then that's great. But if you've got as a background culture that you've got places which are increasingly becoming ghettoized, I mean, I think that this is, you know, a dark perspective. But when I look at United States and when I look at the UK what I what I see because of the culture of you know got to be a winner and all this kind of stuff is, is that there will be towns and large areas which will become the equivalent of ghettos whereby the rule of law will be you know kind of there I think it's already happened in the UK to a certain extent you will get increasingly robotic automated policing scanning CCTV and all this kind of stuff um, but by and large, you know, I, I, I just think that people will be left to get on with it for the most part, um, because I don't, I don't relate the culture from government down as being one of caring. I, I see it as being one of control. So I think that's where you have to, you have to start with what's the baseline culture. Mm -hmm. I think um, in one of the books I read and reviewed, uh, Peter Nowak is talking about Denmark, and then he's saying that the biggest difference. Uh, in terms of why people there are, you know, happy and then people in other places are not, is the level of trust. And that comes back to what you were saying about the government and caring for the people. Correct. In Denmark, people trust the government and the local authorities to look after them. Yes. And they yes. also trust each other as individuals. And then yes. the level of trust in so, so you know, high-performing economies like the UK and the US is super-duper low. 
Yes. And also, I'd be really interested to see what the culture was in their, if they have the parliamentary chambers. Because when you look at, when you look at what goes on in the House of Commons, frankly, I think it's embarrassing. I think it's shameful. I think it's pathetic. Uh, you know, it's, it's little more than children squabbling and name calling and not answering questions and doing all this kind of stuff. Whereas... You see, in the Scandinavian countries, it seems to me that there's a huge amount of logic and rationale that goes on. Uh, I'm not saying that, of course, people don't play politics. That is what politics is about. But I think, I think that the intention behind it is very much of caring, rather than, I would suggest, in the UK and certainly in the States, it's predominantly about power. Mm -hmm. Do you think then, as a goal, for example, with AI, a lot of people are talking about not working as a goal right as a, as a goal of its own we're going to get mm. to a place where the economic situation the abundance of wealth is such that we don't have to work anymore do you think that is a feasible goal and a good goal to set i don't think it's a good goal to set uh, mm -hmm. i th i think i think the shift is in terms of not needing to from a point of view of financial security mm -hmm. if My belief is is that the bulk of the population are people that want to have a, uh, a satisfying life. I think they want to have security that underpins it and whatever. So that, that I think, is the starting point. It's always the bulk. You're, you're always going to have – there is this constant 80-20 rule, which just – I don't know why, but it, but it upholds in almost every walk of life. The 20% are going to look to strive for something more, and 80% will tend to kind of go, no, I'm happy with my lot which is great, so don't fight it, because that seems to be embedded in our nature. But, but the most important thing is, is that, and I think this is part of the, part of the struggle right now, because people are struggling, is, is that even though you've got far more people who are far more affluent, I think you've got far more people that are struggling big time. The differential between the so-called middle class and the working class is getting erased. You know, the, the upper middle class and upwards is getting more and more defined and more and more wealthy. Mm -hmm. And the rest, I think, are sliding a little bit more further down into struggle and staying afloat. Um, so for me, it's then looking at, okay, if you remove the need to work from a financial point of view, the biggest issue is having a sense of whether it's purpose or mm -hmm. meaning or contribution, because mm -hmm. it's an absolute categoric fact if you have people this is what i found out here you know listen this is beautiful right but if i sit here and i do nothing i start to stagnate get bored vegetate depression can certainly become an issue because it's just like well what you know what do you do um you know and it's also why certainly in this part of the world certainly amongst the expat community alcohol plays a significant part Um, because well, what you do is you go along and you have a drink and da 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 da. -da. Um, so to me, it's more about the meaning and the purpose. How can you contribute? Now that brings in a truly fascinating question in terms of society, and that's why I say, you know, it needs to transition and change really, really fast. But if you gotta, you gotta be a winner as the mm -hmm. baseline. That's gonna be really, really hard. Because if you've then got, as I said, this almost like a social stigma, um, you know, whereby universal basic income is something which is, which is handed out to everybody, never mind the cost of that. I think in the United States, if they did that, it was either it would be an additional 14, 
I can't remember it was billion or trillion or something, but a vast amount of money, then mm -hmm. you've then got to start looking at that in terms of, okay, so what are you going to contribute towards? Because you can't for all sorts of reasons, but primarily well-being, you can't have people just sitting around taking money and doing nothing at all. Now, that does become fascinating. Mm -hmm. and then and this is what I mean about moving away from doing to being. So, for instance, mm -hmm. we know that in the UK, the elderly population, huge amount of suffering from loneliness and isolation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, so what could you do about that as one example? Um, so that's where it becomes intriguing because it's an OK. So what social enterprises can now be opened up for the well-being of people? But that's why the culture is essential, coming back to that, because if you go, well, you know, you grow up in a society where the bulk of society is pointing a finger and you're going, well, you're a loser because you're not a winner. Mm -hmm. You've then got to deal with that. So the culture of universal basic income and people accepting that it's not that you're out of a job and you're unemployed. It's actually that the new status is, is that people accept that the bulk of people don't work. Mm -hmm. Amen. And how do we, because one of my, one of my fears is that we're going to get to the UBI potentially before we get to the cultural infrastructure of actually dealing with that, you know, talking about again, the school system. Yeah. We, th we think that, okay, we stop working and then suddenly we all have all that free time to be creative and to, you know, to do whatever we want with our lives. But no one has really taught us how to do that. What can we put in place as a society to not end up getting all we wanted and all we strive to and then being even sadder than we are now? Well, I, th I, th I, think, I think that is a key indicator as to where certain things have to happen. And, 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 a, and a key part of that is in terms of new education. I think mm -hmm. education itself, again, Jack Ma, he came out with a very good um, statement saying, what is the point in, children, sorry, in teaching your children something that a robot or artificial intelligence can already do? So you have to start looking at the so-called soft skills. You know, what is, what is the thing that makes being a human being special? For me, possibly, I mean, there are a whole raft of things, but one of the things definitely is connection with our fellow human beings. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you're now looking at evolution and evolving, then the social aspects of, of community, how we can actually support and care for each other, uh, I think is going to be a huge, huge aspect of that. Uh, and by definition, if you're then saying, well, you know, you don't have to work for money anymore, when you remove that, it does then free up a whole lot of energy, which up until now for many people is, is invested in worrying, struggle, trying, you know, getting ahead, stress, tension, yada, 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 and all that kind of stuff. So education is without a shadow of a doubt going to be crucial. But here's something else which is really fascinating, mm -hmm. is that blockchain technology, which is still very much in its infancy, if what they're talking about in terms of government uh, is the case, and I and I and it's I can't explain it in a short space of time, you know now. But but in in effect, what we're talking about is is that you can end up through blockchain technology where you can have direct voting, immediate direct voting. You can end up mm -hmm. actually with people demanding, for instance, that politicians are not. Um, funded, supported, or endorsed in any way, or are endorsing in any way any particular business. 
for instance. Again, in the States, this is huge. I mean, we all know that it is. Um, but this then suddenly brings into question the fact that actually there could be a real revolution in terms of not so much government as governance, mm -hmm. because you would then know for a fact that the individual that you are voting for, what they're for, what they stand for, you could even be looking at the breakdown of parties and actually you can have individuals who stand for certain values and that, you know, the immediacy of that could be truly revolutionary. That, to me, is the biggest single change uh, that would change the way that we govern as a world. I mean, imagine if you had some people who were, you know, true environmentalists and say, right, you know, as a country, for instance, whether it was Europe or the UK or whatever, we are going to commit X billions of pounds towards clearing up the ocean around us or blah, 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 blah. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So so suddenly you've got direct access. Whereas before I went to see my MP about fracking, what an utter waste of time that was. No, no, you know, I could see the kind of veil came down over her as she assured me about this and that and the other and blah 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 mm -hmm. and the tests were completely safe and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. When I said, Okay, so you know, what do the tests entail? She couldn't answer me and then there was a convenient knock at the door and that was my time up. So mm -hmm. rather than having somebody that is just responding to a government or party line, genuinely you would have people that are there, and this comes back to the sort of Scandinavian example, who are there genuinely to care for and help um, the population. And that would be phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Mm -hmm. But then, okay, then let's take this conversation further. This is on the side of um, education, right? And then yeah. governance. But then you started with, uh, you know, still the school system is not really preparing individuals for, yeah. you know, a happy life and a life with technology that they would enjoy, right? But then, Yeah, I don't, I don't know whether I'd say a happy life and with technology. I mean, I would certainly say, <laughs> yeah, a, hap a happy life for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, <laughs> all right. Uh, but don't we have uh, pretty much all the knowledge available now at our fingertips so that we can teach ourselves to do anything we want to do right so well, is this it's you know because in yeah, the past it was sorry, it's interesting let uh -huh. me just cut across right because it's really interesting that where you go is well don't we have the knowledge yeah we have knowledge but again einstein was talking about imagination is more important than knowledge why mm. because knowledge is something we already know imagination is something that hasn't yet been created so to me, mm -hmm. it's, it's, this is why the creative aspect, I think, is so important. But also knowing what it is to be a human being. Here's, an, here's another question, right? Where do we learn? I don't know how it was when you grew up. But where do we learn about our bodies? I mean, you know, how to treat them, how they work, what the function is and whatever. I mean, yeah, we do biology and blah, 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 but in a very sterile condition. But our relationship with our bodies, for the most part, is very, very poor. Why is that? Because the relationship that we have with our health is, well, when I get ill, I'll go and see the doctor. It is not about how do I maintain, you know, fantastic levels of health and yada, yada, yada. So self-care is something which is a huge aspect, which by and large I think is neglected in our education system social mm. relationships i went to i was so-called lucky enough and i was 
to go to one of the top grammar schools in the UK. The standards were extraordinary. But all the time it was about, and I would ask these questions, like, well, why are we doing this? Well, because you got exams. Well, yeah, but why? Well, because then you got GCSE. Well, no, I know yeah. that. But, well, because then blah, blah, blah. And I go, yeah, but what's going on in his life? What's going on in his life? It was a boys-only school. You know, what is it that makes something important and special to you? What is it that da 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 So I grew up with knowledge and results, but I was barren when it came to, you know, kind of human development, relationships, and all this kind of stuff. You just left to get on with it. Well, that's a huge area that, that education has, has fallen away with. So I wouldn't start with knowledge. I would start with experience and what is it to be a human being? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then what you just talked about, uh, you know, about connectivity and um, about sort of learning how to be a human. Yeah. Isn't this... So you're saying that in terms of the education system, if they would focus more on uh, instilling self-awareness instead of, you know, telling us who was the king when kind of yeah. thing, that would be more helpful. But could can't we already access that information in other places? No, because, I mean, there are online courses, there is a bunch of articles, what you talk about, about the relationship with your bodies, even though we're not taught that, what I'm getting at is there are places where we can find that information. Is it that yes. people are not looking, or is what, it that we're but... not told to even look in the first place? Well, I, I think I think it's that we're told not to look in the first place, mm-hmm. but here's the other thing. This is that, again, you're using the language accessing knowledge. Is education about accessing knowledge or is education about human beings interacting with each other, learning and exploring through the experience? Mm-hmm. You know, if you tell people, okay, we'll go online and access this and access that and access the other, then sure, some will and for sure, for sure, some won't. But when you have an interaction between one human being and another, that is an altogether different experience. And if, as we are, on a planet which is massively, massively increasing in population and looks as though resources are being reduced, then the one thing, surely, that we have to be fluent in, comfortable with, respectful of, whatever, is the relationship between one human being and another, rather than being remote and going, well, I can access this information online, yada, 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 by the way, you know, there's there's some other people over here that want X, Y, and Z. Well, what do we do about that? Send off a few drones and dispose of them. You know, that that's my point. Mm-hmm. It's like, what do you believe at the at the center of education uh, is is important? And surely studying, experiencing, and being involved in developing yourself as a human being has got to be at the heart of that, rather than simply an intellectual process. I believe a huge part of the problem is is that is that we've actually lost connection. Listen, I live my life the way I live my life because I genuinely, I know this is a cliche, I follow my heart. If it's if it's something that I just go, oh my God, you know, that experience makes me feel at peace or, you know, whatever, 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 then that's how I live my life. I get that's not for everybody, mm-hmm. but I would also near as damn it guarantee that part of the problem, there's a very, very good friend of mine. His intellect is formidable. But if you ask him how he feels about something, he almost finds it impossible to access that. Mm -hmm. Now, 
that's not a criticism of him. It's it's another question that I raise for myself. It's like, what is that like to live in a world whereby you are intellectually driven, but in terms of stimulus and how you feel, you have no relationship with that at all. Mm-hmm. Is this why you? I'm just looking at your book cover, and you have a tsunami here. Yeah. Could you could you just talk a bit about why you called it tsunami? Because I mean, I think our conversation up until now kind of explains it in a way, in terms of the uh, the drama of it, really. But if you yeah. could if you could kind of uh, talk about your thought process with well, calling I... the technological progress techno tsunami and why not techno. Whatever yeah, 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 sure. And mm-hmm. and in fact, I, I, I think I think the relevance is why I called it surfing the techno tsunami. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. is 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 entirely the point. Um so in twenty I mean, listen, for twenty-five years I've been talking about change. I've been talking about the impact it's having. Uh I remember when we used to have this is before you were born, Max. We used to have a car industry here, the national car company it was called British Leyland. Um, mm-hmm. and it used to be on strike all the time and the quality of the cars was extremely susceptible and all this kind of stuff. Um, but I remember when they got their first seven or eight robots in and everybody went on strike. So, you know, it was just like, wow, that's incredible. Everybody went on strike because all their jobs were going to go with seven robots. Um, but the habit in those days was to go on strike. Mm-hmm. So... You know, technology has been something that I've been aware of. I remember when I was 10 or 11, we had a prime minister called Edward Heath who talked about that at some point people would have far, far more leisure time and be working far less. And as a 10-year-old boy, I was looking forward to that. Still am. (laughs) Um, And so there was, for some reason, a curiosity and a fascination about that. You know, and and given that this was pre-internet and pre-mobile phones, you can, you know, you get a sense about how far and how fast things have come. But it wasn't until 2016 that I uh, heard a speech that was given by Mark Carney, governor of the Bank of England. Uh, And I read about a speech that was given by uh, President Obama to the United States Congress. And the the topic on both was about technology. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've heard Elon Musk, Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, etc. talk about technology, but you know, there's something in the back of my mind that goes, well, you guys are in the business, so you've got a vested interest. I think, I think the one person that intrigued me more than anybody else was Mark Carney, because what is his agenda? His agenda, as I see it, is to safeguard the economic highways of, you know, the, the global economy. I mean, yes, maybe the UK first and foremost, but certainly global economy. Turns out he's also the CEO of the G7, which is interesting. Sorry, the G20, I beg your pardon. Mm-hmm. So the 20 biggest economies in the world, he's the CEO, which then means that actually it's a foreign registered company. So that's interesting too. So this guy, you know, he's got a lot going on. Now, in his speech, he talked about how technology was going to decimate jobs. And the significance, there were two. One was, as he was saying, and and the the key to this is that this is not just so-called lower-end jobs. The second highest at-risk Industry is accountancy and economy. And he said this with a wry smile because he is one. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's fully expecting that by and large that industry is going to get decimated. We're talking about within a few short years. It's already happening. There is already software that was out there that could do your accounts. 
Mm-hmm. So when you then look at the scale, you then start looking at the fact that the NHS, for instance, are just about to spend an additional three to four hundred million pounds on surgical robots. Robots play a part at the moment in 25% of all NHS operations. There is a now a robot that can produce dental surgery, would you believe? So, you know, and you look at the fees of surgeons in the UK and in the United States, I mean, they're massive. So you're now talking about operations taking place 24-7 on a almost like a rotator basis. So this is huge. But the significance and the thing that really, really made me sit up and take notice is the fact that both Barack Obama and Mark Carney were talking about the same date that this happens, and that is 2030. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's incredulous. In the United States and in the UK, the lower end anticipated unemployment levels is over 50, 50%. And in fact, the White House Economic Unit has reported it as being as high as 62%. Now, in the Great Recession of the 1930s, unemployment was just shy of 25%, and that was considered a disaster. Mm -hmm. The OECD, which I think they've got something like 27 countries belonging a member to, who are members of, they're anticipating, again, unemployment levels reaching something like 55%. That's over 420 million jobs in those countries alone. So, you know, my whole thing is, like I said, in particular with Mark Carney, why would he come out with that? But the interesting thing for me, and this is the kind of, this is, the, this is where I go with regards to politics, it's about you've got to be wary, is that the figures that were in uh, President Obama's speech, he didn't actually verbalize those. They were contained within the document, but he didn't actually articulate them. Mm -hmm. Which led me to ask why. Why is it that politicians right now are not talking about this at all? And I've just formed the conclusion, I've got no doubt about it. Of course, any political party that gets into power is going to be promising jobs. So if you turn around and say, well, excuse me, but the governor of the Bank of England, the OECD, and yada, 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 Jack Maher is another one. He says 800 million jobs will go by 2030. If you turn around and say that to a politician... They're not going to have an answer to the solution. So they're not going to be talking about it. And that, to me, is it's irresponsible. I appreciate they don't mm-hmm. want to cause panic. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I wrote the book is because two things. One is, is that for those people that are choosing to take notice and who are taking responsibility for their well-being and that of their family, then I hope that this book wakes them up and they go, wow, okay, right, I need to change my whole thinking. And the second thing is, is that the solution is already here. And that's why it's about surfing the techno tsunami. If you're going to have a look, it's quite ironic. So I'm sitting here and I'm literally staring at the horizon. Africa is over to my right. You know, it's like if there was a tsunami coming and if I was just looking at this thing going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, you know, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And I stayed transfixed, then for sure, for sure, I would. Yeah. Uh, However, if I go, right, okay, I need to do something, I need to get out of here, I need to inform some people, blah, 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 then I'd survive. So this is the point. If people are going to look at this within the context of, does that mean I'm not going to have a job? The chances are, for the bulk of people, or certainly half of them, is that the answers are, yes, that does mean you're not going to have a job. 
Now, you can choose to stay paralyzed, complaining and moaning and being full of woes, or you can actually get real and go, right, I need to do something about this. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where the 80-20 rule, yeah, that's where I have a concern, because I think that the bulk of people are just going to sit there and go, well, that's not fair. Whereas actually it's like, okay, the book is about saying, wake the heck up and do it now. Mm-hmm. So to me, the solutions are already here. There's an entrepreneurial revolution that has gone by and it's gaining speed and momentum. The internet, without a shadow of a doubt, has caused a revolution in that, and it's truly exciting. But there are other options as well that people can do, uh, or again, which are all mentioned in the book, as well as, uh, you know, because the big question that I also needed to address is, well, as I've already said, our educational system creates good employees. It does not create self-employed entrepreneurial people so for those that go well i haven't got a business idea i haven't got a clue what do i do blah 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 there are also multiple 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 options to do with that whereby you can get involved in in effect what's almost like an online franchise or different business models whereby you are supported and coached until your business begins to turn a profit so the solutions are there And I tell you what, the quality of life, the engagement, the satisfaction, the fulfillment, the personal growth are on a whole, whole other level. And that to me is why I find why I call it surfing the tsunami, because for those that get the message and they let go of, you know, I've got to get another job. How am I going to survive and blah, blah, blah. And they actually get into thinking for themselves, becoming clear about what matters to them getting a clear sense of purpose, desire, hunger, satisfaction, reward, you know, recognizing that most people have been stagnating and actually this gives an extraordinary opportunity to take yourself on on a whole other level. Yeah, the the answers are there and they're absolutely amazing. So I find this, most crisis will create something, you know, good that comes out of this. And actually I find this particular impending crisis i find that if for those people that go right okay here i go as a motivating factor this could be extraordinary mm-hmm. i was just gonna tell you um about the cars when you mentioned that british car maker and how the quality yeah. was quite average um yeah. there is in ukraine right we had one car maker right and pretty right. much one car and right. uh there was is a that top... right wow well i mean i think I think they have stuff now, but as in, I mean, it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get anywhere close to that thing. But the car that uh, we produced was reviewed on Top Gear, and uh, it actually has a hole in its bottom for winter fishing. No way! Right, so that when the lake or the river is frozen, you would drive up, and then there is a hole already in there, so you can open it up and stick your fishing rod in. So cool. That is so so cool. Yeah, so it had it had its features. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. last question. Yeah. Your technological progress always led to the either loss or shift in terms of employment, right? Yeah. Yeah. How is this time different to agricultural revolution, industrial revolution, uh, so to speak? I know that it's been uh, discussed quite a bit, but uh, I'm curious about your take on this uh the significance now 
is that the technology and the intelligence that we're creating has got an intelligence of its own. Yeah. So you've now got, I mean, Google, for instance, they created, they decided, I heard this the other day, they decided that what they were going to do in terms of their AI was not use a language such as English. Uh, and in effect, the AI created its own language. The problem they've got is that, if this is correct, is, is that therefore humans don't understand that language, yeah. which is kind of spooky. Um, so, but that I think is the key difference. Is that, and this this comes back to the whole thing speeding up. Is the intelligence itself has got its own intelligence and is designing itself. There was a factory in China whereby you had people that would come in to build the robots, and then that was, from what I understand, the end of the use for those people because then the robots continued to build robots. Mm -hmm. So that's where you're going to see things. Uh, develop and evolve in a really quite you know bizarre way um, because in some senses I don't know what paradigm and this is Elon Musk's you know his his fear is that unless you put some kind of safeguards on this then how on earth is this going to be directed and guided um, because if you then enable artificial intelligence to create itself then who knows what direction it's going to go in mm -hmm. I, I but like... that is the that is the key mm -hmm. difference. I'm quite stunned by the amount of uh, publicity and work happening in the field of AI ethics. Right. I, I think it's it's quite a positive thing that we are so humane that we are thinking about this sort of issues without, I would say, quite relatively early on. Yes. So, so there is a big movement for importing a set of uh, rules, right? Yeah. Not like laws of robotics, but more like ethical rules such as you know don't kill humans blah 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 yeah. into into the ai devices yeah but yeah. the biggest well, challenge is to avoid bias in the way you import those rules and to make those because the way deep learning works is that the ai agent can rewrite its own code as it learns yes. so the idea is you would have a set of code that is not rewritable and it would determine the way that ai device you know, handles its its affairs. What what do you think sure. about important stuff like empathy and uh, selflessness and and things of that nature to make sure that AI actually helps us and uh, yeah, as much well, as it can. I I in terms of in terms of uh, demonstrating positive human qualities, uh, I don't think that that can ever be a mistake. I think I think the difficulty is is when people begin to attribute those qualities to the intelligence and personalize it rather than actually get, no, this is, you know, for want of another phrase, a computer or something digital that is producing this. That's where, again, that's why the virtual world is, is it's so intriguing. And at the same time, it's dangerous in terms of at what point do people actually end up buying into an illusion and never stepping back and going, hang on a minute, this isn't human. That is going to be one of the real challenges, for sure. Is there anything you, anything in particular you want to draw attention to anywhere listeners should go to know more about you or the work that you do? Um, I, think, I, think there are, I think there are two things that I would, that, I mean, yes, there is, but I think first and foremost, I think, I think that anybody that's listening to this 
um, it's very easy to fall back into a state of thinking this isn't going to happen, um, you know, so therefore I don't need to pay any attention to this. I, I constantly, the reason, the reason for writing the book was because if you imagine close to a billion jobs going with under, under 12 years from the time of this recording, then you need to look and remind yourself that even if this is half of that, even if you slash that by 50%, then I implore people genuinely to put themselves in that scenario going, what would the world be like in order to consistently motivate themselves to look at the alternatives? Um, because my big concern is, is that just like a tsunami, you know, if, if you kind of go, oh, you know, last minute, oh, crikey, I've got to get out of the way of this thing, then it's going to be too little too late. Mm -hmm. And so, so just be mindful of that. You know, if you've got kids, if kids are going to university, then ask why are they going to university? Are they going to university to fill in three years of time? If particularly if they've got students' fees, you know, I would urge people to look at again what the alternatives are before you go to university. Because, for instance, people who are going to study accountancy, it's not going to be around for much longer. So that's the first thing is to is to is to really look at this for yourself. Uh, don't believe what I say. You know, I would encourage people to buy the book simply because there's a whole lot of reference there in terms of what other people are talking about. By the way, one final thing. The book came out um, back end of 2017. There have already been things that I said were going to happen in the book that have happened. Um, and it's And again, it's building up. You know, Deutsche Bank, for instance, right now, they're looking at wiping out over 50% of their jobs and handing it over to technology. I talked about the fact that Amazon were going to start up a, a store that had no um, checkouts in it so that people walk in, literally, they take stuff off the shelf and they walk out. As they walk out, um, their account gets debited straight away. Mm -hmm. um, I've also talked about the fact that surgeons are going to have a whole lot of stuff replaced. Also, call centers, the NHS in, in the UK, that it was called NHS Direct. I can't remember what it's called now, but that is going to be completely artificial intelligence within three years. If that's the case, so will all other call centers imminently. This is not a flight of fancy. It sounds like it's science fiction, but you know, you get one call center that goes AI, of course the rest are going to go AI. Why wouldn't they? If you're a financial consultant, you're not going to have a job in three years. You're not going to have an industry in three years because why would Scottish Widows or any other life assurance company pay you a commission when they can get a computer to do it better within the legal parameters? So please do take this as being real. Do not get caught up in fear. Be proactive. Look for yourself. But begin to ask yourself more powerful questions and go, right, if I could live my life, if I could truly live my life in the way that I wanted to live my life, then how would that be? Because the alternatives that are out there are extraordinary. And so, yeah, where you can go is that you can go to Amazon. Surfing the Techno Tsunami is available on there. Or you can go to www.surfingthetechno-tsunami.com and order it through there. But above all, whatever you do, please, please recognize that this is happening. Uh, and that's not me saying that. Why would the governor of the Bank of England put his reputation on the line if it wasn't the case? Mm -hmm. I mean, this would be an amazing place to end it, but I'm going to be annoying because I have another <laughs> because I have another question that I forgot to ask. 
and uh, <laughs> I think your answer might prove quite inv- yeah it was so dramatic and yeah I think I think I f***ed up a bit <laughs> that's fine <laughs> no if you want another question go for it Let's that's fine no no I, I'm just really curious about this well in my mind I think the people who would enjoy uh, listening to this kind of conversation and derive a lot of value from it um, are graduates of schools and universities uh-huh. or current students so that's uh-huh. for for them right let's say you know someone just graduated or about to graduate and go yeah. into i don't know be it law or accountancy or you know or music or writing yeah. any, anything really and yeah. they are worried about um ai uh technology is something that they're gonna do gonna be around is there going to be security of some kind? And on the other side, there are parents and the society that are pushing them to do it. What actual steps can they undertake to put themselves in a better position to succeed for themselves, whatever they, they make of the word success? In, in you mean in terms of whatever career they go towards? or do you Just mean in, in terms, terms of, of what, life? What, what they should be thinking about, uh, mostly professionally, but also personally, to... I would... I, yeah. I, I would it's 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 what I said before. I would start. Listen, we are in we are in the most extraordinary times now whereby it is possible to first of all dream, design, plan, build and live the life of your dreams. Mm-hmm. And so I mean that is that is the fact. Like I said, I'm talking to you and I'm st- I've just had to come inside because the sun is so hot now. I'm staring at you, looking at people in their canoes, fishing on the Mediterranean. How incredible is that? Not because I'm doing it, but as a thing to be able to do. Mm-hmm. So I would actually say to people, let go, unfetter your imagination. Absolutely get clear that you as an individual, regardless of technology, what it is to be a human being is to be able to create what it is that you vividly imagine and that you're passionate about as a way of life. So start with that. Start with dreaming. Start with asking, what is it that makes your heart sing? What are the things that matter to you? Start from that. Stephen Covey, a fantastic business mentor, mm-hmm. he had a phrase saying, begin with the end in mind. And that is what I would encourage everybody to do, to play the game of what if, and take, let your imagination take you on a journey. And from that, then start to define what it is that you want out of life. I would start that way around. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it, to me, it's as simple as that because then you fall in love with your life. And yeah. surely that's what we're here for. Okay, great. This is another great moment to end. And this time I'm actually going to execute. Uh, <laughs> Paul, thank you very much for Pleasure. being on the podcast. And thank you very much for being what I consider a friend and a mentor. Ciao, take care, Paul. Thank you very much for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I thought it was amazing and truly fascinating. And as always, life-changing conversation with Paul. Please accept my apologies as I lost the audio for the last few seconds of the conversation, but there was nothing of utter importance in there. Please take your time to check out Paul on social media channels. That's Paul Hornsey-Pinnell on LinkedIn and Facebook. If you're interested, get the book Surfing the Techno Tsunami. It's available on Amazon. And as always, if you want to know what I'm up to, go to maxtalksai.com or maxtalksai on Instagram. 
love you guys bye